0: Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's located in your church Bibles on page 977. Please stand, if you are able, as we read from the New Testament. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated.
1: Let's pray together as we come to our text today. Father, we thank you that you are a God that delights to meet with us, but you're a God that delights to meet us where we are. And we thank you that we can come today expectantly, knowing that you will speak to us because we will be and have been looking to your word. So I pray that uh, during these next few moments in this time where we look at this text, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open up our ears to hear so that we might respond by the power of your grace. And for your glory we pray. Amen. Do you know somebody in your life, or maybe there is someone in your life, that has a strong prayer life? I think the church often calls these people uh, prayer warriors, Uh, but these are people that uh, you go to when something big is going down, when there's a situation in your life, when there's turmoil, when there's a problem. You know that you can run to these individuals and you can say, Hey, I need you to pray for me I need you to pray about this and you know that they will be committed that they will pray about it regularly they'll follow back up with you and see how you were doing these are the people that we run to my mom has been one of those for me many years in my life and I remember uh, growing up not just for me but seeing prayer lists taped at different spots around the house one was in the bathroom on the mirror She had another one on her treadmill, and just the list of people that she would pray for consistently. But there was a lady uh, here at Stony Point Church when I started a number of years ago uh, that I pegged her as a prayer warrior, and she proved herself true to that end. But she loved to uh, pray, particularly, I mean, many things, but particularly for me and for student ministries and for students uh, here at Stony Point Church. She and her husband had to move out of the area and into a different state, but I still uh, will email her and text her about prayer requests for things that we have going on here. Um, But in fact, she and her husband were heavily involved in the life of one of our students, uh, even more than on a mentor-type level. And I know that she prayed often uh, with this student. And To this day, when I hear that student pray, I hear her. I can hear and see the impact that this woman's prayer life had on this student. It's powerful. Something similar has been our aim as we've gone through this series on prayer. In this month of January, we've looked at the pages of Scripture, and we've seen interactions between God and people and people and God all the while learning many things about God, learning some things about these individuals, learning things about ourselves, and hopefully learning some things about how we, too, can pray. Instead of looking at a narrative today, though, we are going to look and peek in on this letter that Paul has written to the church at Ephesus. So if you go ahead and open up there to Ephesians chapter three, it'll help you out. We're gonna be in the text today. In this letter, we will see a prayer that Paul prayed for a church that he loved. And we're gonna close out our series on prayer with this. But one thing that we need to ask ourselves as we come to this text, and we need to ask ourselves this question over and over, is this, what if I prayed like this? What if I prayed like this? And as we go through this text, we're going to look at the problem The prayer and the promise the problem the prayer and the promise now before we get into those points today I want us to take note of a couple of things if you flip back to chapter 1 in this book of Ephesians you'll see Paul go into prayer for this church here at Ephesus and then he goes on to something else and then he starts a prayer at the beginning of chapter 3 goes on to something else and then you see him finally restarting that prayer in verse 14 And all surrounding these moments of prayer are powerful theological truths. And he's calling uh, the Ephesians to certain things. But you notice as you read it that maybe Paul has gotten a little distracted in his prayer. Anybody else like that, or is it just me? You start praying, and then you go a few minutes, maybe a minute, and you're like, wait a second, when did I stop praying? Because now my mind is somewhere else. I like to call this prayer ADHD. We talk about it with the students a lot. But be encouraged, the Apostle Paul was no different. We see that here. But Paul's rabbit trails here were these appeals and deep truths about Christ. So secondly, in that light, these truths... These appeals and these prayers cannot be separated because they fueled each other. It was from both of these, from all of these together, that fanned this flame that you see here in Paul. And it displays his love of Christ and his love for this church. And it's important for us to set that stage as we come to this section. But let's look at the problem first. Now, all the way back in chapter 1, we see these words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. At the beginning of the book, Paul shares with us to whom he is writing, the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, are these people Christ followers? We would assume yes, because he just called them such. Then why does he pray in our text today that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith? Doesn't Christ already dwell in their hearts through faith if they are Christ followers? I mean, that's what Romans 8 tells us. Then look down at verse 19. He prays that you may be filled with the fullness of God. But if they are Christ's followers, aren't they already filled? Colossians 2 tells us that in Christ all the fullness of God dwells and that in Christ we have been brought to that fullness. Paul has said they are in Christ. And if they are, why then is he praying for them to have these things that supposedly they already have if they are in Christ it seems like a problem it seems like there's a contradiction here but I think a hint of the answer is given to us in our text if you look down at it when he prays that they may know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge you see this word "know" is not merely a head knowledge It is a heart knowledge. It is an experiential knowledge. And may I say something that is scary for us as Presbyterians? It is that experience to which he's speaking. Not just feelings, but an experience of God that goes from here to here and then out in our lives. And that's what he's discussing. So the problem here is not a problem with Paul or with what he's saying, but the problem is with us. Because just like the church at Ephesus. We can know it, but not really know it. You know, my sons can know that I love them. I can tell them a thousand times a day that I love you, but when do they really know it? It's when something goes down and they experience that love. Let me take this even further. The problem is that for many of us, we know Christ, And we have a relationship with him, but we have resources that we do not access. We have a great wealth that is ours in Christ Jesus, but that wealth has little to no impact on our hearts and in our daily lives. You know, in 2020, a homeless woman in Astoria, Oregon, died never having collected a penny of her nearly $900,000 fortune that was hers when her mother passed away in 2016. 49-year-old Kathy Boone was the sole heir to this money. It was all hers. And the court documents showed that Kathy had known all along about this inheritance, but they were very unclear as to why she had never come forward to claim it. Kathy's estranged father said, "'It didn't make any sense to me. "'That money was just sitting there, "'and she needed help in the worst way.'" Officials said that Kathy Boone could have easily gotten the money if she had just come forward to claim it. But she never did. So here Paul is saying, Christian, you may have a problem. You know Christ. But do you really know him in an experiential way, a way that affects who you are and all that you do? So what if we prayed to experience God in this way? Now, having asked ourselves that question, let's secondly dive a little more into that prayer. And I want to highlight three things that jump out to me straight from the text is the word strength, love, and fullness, the first thing for which Paul prays here, verse 16, is strength. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his, inner, through his spirit in your inner being. <clears throat> now, if you go back and look at what Paul has been writing about, he describes all the wonderful things that God wants to do for his people, the blessings that he wants to pour out on them, the things that he wants them to experience. So this is a logical request right here. And what he's saying is the vastness of what God wants for us makes us see our own weaknesses, makes us see our inadequacy, our inability. You know, when you are sick, uh, life goes on and things go on around you, but until you regain your strength, you are not able to experience life the way that you normally would. You hang out with your friends and you're still just kind of, uh, or you're trying to get your work done and it just does not work out because you need to be strengthened. In the same way, Paul is saying here that we need to be strengthened in our inner being if we are able to participate in and enjoy all of the blessings that God has for us in this life and in the life to come. And who better to come to with this request, right? Come before the one from whom all things and to whom all things are. Look down at the text. It says, according to the riches of his glory. Now, he doesn't give from his riches, but he gives according to them. For a wealthy person to give $100 to somebody, they give uh, from their wealth. But to give $100,000 to you, they give according to their wealth. And it's because God's strength is limitless, Paul taps into the greatest resource that the Ephesians could ever have to be strengthened and empowered. And remember, that resource is one that we already possess if we are in Christ. For some reason, though, we just don't access it. Now notice, only God's spirit can strengthen ours. He is the only one who can energize, who can strengthen, who can revitalize and empower us. What's amazing is that this power is not reserved for the spiritually spiritually elite. It's not for a special class of Christian. It's for you and it's for me. Because it's in our weakness that we find his. His strength. And it's in That weakness, our weakness, that we see that he is there. And that's the key that we've seen over and over again in this series on prayer. We must admit our weakness and our inability. And until that sinks deep into our soul, until we rely on his strength rather than our own, we will continue to be frustrated, exhausted, and powerless against the assaults of the evil one. As John 15 tells us, apart from God, we can do nothing. So what if we prayed to be strengthened according to the riches of his glory? We're told here that it's a gift. Why don't we ask for it? Another request is that of love. We see that in 17 to 19, but I want, to, want us to look at two words first, two words. There's two key words that really shape this request for love. The first is to dwell. Now, in the Greek, this is a compound word, and one of those words means down, and the other means to inhabit a house. Now, this is far greater than the idea of being in the house of our hearts, like we ask Jesus into our hearts. But what this means is it's a a being at home. It's a taking up residence, a feeling comfortable in that place, like a, a, a loved family member. But what does it really mean practically, and why is this a word that shapes our request for love? You see, Jesus cannot be just a tolerated visitor. We all want the love of Jesus, right? We want comfort we want a savior, we want protection, but do we want a king? Do we really want a king to inhabit our hearts, to take up residence in our hearts, to be at home there? The Bible reminds us over and over that Jesus is not our assistant. He is a king and he came to reign, and this makes us very uncomfortable and squirmy because we live in a society that focuses on our own independence. But how wonderful is it that the powerful and holy God wants to take up residence in our lives and that patiently and lovingly he begins to clean out the rooms of our hearts transforming us from the inside out. He is king and must be treated as such, but he is unlike every other king that we have seen or experienced before. That's why this word is tied to the request for love. But a second, if you look down at the text, is comprehend, or some of your translations may have to grasp Look at verse 18, you might have strength, that strength there it is again, to comprehend. What this word means is to seize or to take eagerly. And the idea is that of a sponge that has been squeezed and then dripped down into a bucket of water and then opened up so that it can absorb every little bit of water possible in every nook and cranny It means that we are so immersed in the love that it has affected the very root and ground of our being, as you see there in the text. It's that we have grasped this love of God so deeply that dwelling, this king dwelling in our hearts, is nothing to be feared. We see that his laws for us are, in fact, good, even though we may not like them in the moment. We see that they are given to us out of His infinite love and wisdom, and that they're not restrictive like a straitjacket, but in fact, they are freedom that enables us to live life and live it to the full as we live inside the circle of His protection. So, two words that shape this request for love, but also one image. That shapes this request for love. Look down at verse 18. We may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, what is the image? This is not an image of a tape measure. Okay, but one of love that goes in every single direction without limit. But what do we as humans do? We often measure God's love for us based on our current blessings or difficulties. And wherever we may find ourselves in that, we think that's how much God loves me. But Paul says here and reminds us the love of God is greater than the dimensions of our human knowledge. Author and pastor A.W. Tozer wrote this, because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless. Great words, but let's look at it in a way that's a little more digestible for us. Look at those words, breadth, length, height, and depth. And many pastors and commentators break this apart in a variety of ways. But in the immediate context of the book of Ephesians, we see in chapter 2 that his love is so wide that it accepts both Jew and Gentile. They are one in Christ, equal, In chapter 1, his love is so long that he chose us before the foundation of the world and that love will last for all of eternity. In chapters 1 and 2, we see the height of his love that has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and that he has raised us up to be seated with him in those heavenly places. It is so deep in chapter 2 that God's love reaches down to the depths of sin to save those who are dead in their trespasses and sin. Let's go further outside of the book of Ephesians. How long is the love of Christ? What is its breadth? John 12 tells us that Jesus said, when I am crucified, I will draw all people to myself. This has universal appeal. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are from, or what you have done or failed to do. We're told that every tribe and tongue and nation will feast in the house of Zion because of the breadth of God's love. The length of God's love goes from eternity past. We're told that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, meaning that he had loved us and his plan was set before time had ever started. It is so high that he could tell the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So high that in Jesus we experience the glory that the Father has given him. We see in John 17. His love is so deep that he did not die just a physical death. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because in those moments, he was experiencing the eternal hell for all of God's people. That wrath and judgment for my sin was being poured out on him. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. You know, but hearing about and reading about God's love means nothing, really, without Jesus. But Jesus was and is the embodiment of the love of God. He lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died and was raised to life so that we might have life eternal and that life begins now. You see, this is the king that wants to dwell, that wants to take up residence in our lives. This is the love in which Paul wants us to soak. He prays that we might experience this love in a way that grounds us and transforms us from the inside out. And the more that we soak in that love, the more that we begin to comprehend it, the more we will begin to realize that everything else for which we have been chasing to find that is a poor substitute, at best, for what we have in Jesus Christ. What if we prayed to experience God's love in this way? But the final request is at the end of verse 19 for fullness, that you may be filled With all the fullness of god now can we begin at all to grasp the magnitude of this truth think of his love think of his mercy think of his power think of his majesty all of his attributes and all of his characteristics all that god is and all that god does filling us now this theme comes up several other places in this letter to ephesians he mentions the fullness of the blessings of those who are in christ several times in chapter 1, he says that the church is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And in chapter 4, Christ ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And in chapter 5, he wants every believer to be filled with the Spirit. Now, this word, filled in fullness, again, speaks to total supremacy or dominance, meaning that he makes us like himself. Do you see this? experiencing him and being changed to become more and more like him what if we prayed like this now may I pause for just a moment for a slight rabbit trail to mention something that I don't see in this prayer and then mention something that else that I do see first i don't see any requests about circumstances Now, do not get me wrong. It is very important that we as individuals pray for one another and pray for and about the details of life. But if we only pray about those, we are missing a huge opportunity. Because think about it. If someone experiences God like this text describes, what happens In and during the varied experiences that life brings our way. You see this? There's a different foundation. Our root system is secure. And we are able to view those circumstances, whether they be good or bad, through a lens that is now God's lens to view these things. Yes, Pray for the details of life. Pray for one another, the burdens, the circumstances. But pray this as well that we might experience God in this way so that when those come, we can respond appropriately. What if we prayed like this? So I don't see a prayer about circumstances, but I do see a focus on community. Look at the text again and let your eyes just roll down from the beginning to the end. You see Father, you see family, you see all the saints, you see us, you see church. You see, this faith is experiencing God in a way that is very personal, yes, but it is not private. This must be done in community. If we are going to experience God, the answers to these requests here, are taking place in community, mutual relationship with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will never experience Christ in this way without that community. But then look at verses 20 and 21. Paul moves from these requests to the promise, and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The theology that Paul has just discussed and the experience for which Paul has just prayed moves him to a doxology of praise here. Now please do not forget that Paul is writing from a first century Roman prison. Not exactly the Hilton, but this is the overflow of his heart. Catch this. God's ability to answer our request exceeds our ability to even ask or imagine those very requests. That is the God that we bring them to. This is the promise from the God to whom we pray. It was often pointed out, this pyramid of progression of God's power here. Look down at the text. We see at the bottom, he is able. He is able to do. He is able to do far more abundantly. And he is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. Now honestly, most believers would not question that God is able to do more than we could conceive. But, to Few of us enjoy the blessing of seeing Him do those things in and through our lives and in the lives of others because we fail to ask for it. What if we prayed like this for ourselves? What if we prayed like this for our children and for our families? What if we prayed like this for our church? What if we prayed like this for our schools and our friends? And our schoolmates, classmates, our neighbors. What if? This text and all of scripture tells us that if we did, he would answer in ways that are beyond our comprehension. And the only way that we would be able to respond is to shout it from the mountaintops like we just sang. And this text says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What if we prayed like this? Let's do it. Father, when we think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, we fall to our knees and pray to you, our Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. We pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that you will give Stony Point Church... Mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. We pray that Christ will be more and more at home in our hearts as we trust in Him. May our roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may we have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep your love really is. May we experience the love of Christ though it is so great we will never fully understand it. May the people of Stony Point Church be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And may all glory be to you. By your power at work within Stony Point Church, you are able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope. So may you receive glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever throughout endless ages. Amen and amen.